Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Russia, Ukraine. The United States will soon move additional forces. 3,000 troops. Bad idea. It's a mistake to send more American troops. The Holocaust isn't about race. Whoopi will be back in two weeks. Democrats promised to get our country back on track. The worst inflation in 40 years. And Washington, Democrats own it. Six more weeks of winter there will be. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a Wednesday. And uh, the Supreme Court, North Carolina Supreme Court, heard oral arguments this morning at 9.30. Lasted uh, pretty much uh, right at 90 minutes. And uh, sort of went like you would expect. Uh, I, now, I'm biased, but as I watched it, I thought the Democratic justices, the Democrat justices, wouldn't uh, let the Republicans get too many sentences in without interrupting them. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say that uh, Chief uh, Newby also had a few questions for the, for the Democrats and for the uh, attorneys that were representing the uh, North Carolina legislature. Mitch Kokai is the senior political analyst for the John Locke Foundation, and he has written on this, and he has followed this, and uh, no doubt he was uh, paying close attention earlier this morning when this oral argument was taking place. He's on the phone with us right now. Mitch, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Well, thanks for having me, and I, I'm glad that I can run into at least one other person who paid attention to the entire proceedings. People who had something better to do, I hope they did. But, uh, but of course, that's what we get paid to do is uh, pay attention to what's going on with these politicos and, and uh, what is going to happen with these election maps that everyone's so concerned about. Well, give us your general impression. Were you surprised at anything or did it go pretty much like you had expected? Not particularly surprised. I, I think something that struck me fairly early was, as you mentioned, Chief Justice Newby, jumped in relatively soon once the plaintiffs started making their case. And the plaintiffs are the, the three groups of folks who are trying to get the election maps thrown out. They're not specifically the Democratic Party, but they're left-of-center groups ideologically aligned with the Democrats. Right. And they're all pushing for maps that would be better for the Democrats if uh, it, once the elections take place in 2022. So Chief Justice Newby jumped in pretty early. And I was a little surprised that he was the only one asking questions for as long as he did. Eventually, Justice Sam Jimmy Irvin IV jumped in and asked some questions of the plaintiffs. But uh, my, my initial thought was, this doesn't look too good if Justice Newby is the only one asking questions, because then it's pretty clear that the other folks are going to get what they want and don't feel a need to jump in. But then, of course, once the defendants... The legislative defendants started making their case, and the justices on the Democratic side started throwing questions at them. And I thought, okay, well, it's a, a little bit better indication that that all of these justices have some questions and some ideas they want to throw out there and see if they can uh, uh, knock these lawyers off their game. Well, did you get the impression, and, and maybe it's just my bias in this, but did you get the impression that the 
the Democrat justices that were asking the questions were basically, that's all they were trying to do was to quiet the attorneys for the legislature and throw them off their game. Because by the time, uh, you know, they would make, uh, the, the attorneys would make a point, one of the justices would ask a question before the attorney could get the answer out. Another justice seemed to jump on top of them and ask another question. And, you know, I, I thought they did a, a good job, but it was certainly a challenge, a challenge for them as they were constantly interrupted. There definitely was some of that. And I think part of it is just the way oral arguments move forward, because basically the lawyers have submitted the, the bulk of their arguments through the written material. There are thousands of pages connected to this case, right. and the justices have had a chance to review that. So oral arguments are really your last chance to get some ideas in front of these justices that they might not have picked up reading through the, the thousands of pages. So uh, th- there was some of that. But I also think that one of the reasons the Democratic justices were so quick to jump on the attorneys representing the legislative defendants is that they really have a philosophical difference about whether the courts should jump into the situation. Because remember, the, the argument from the legislative defendants is basically whatever you think about these maps, they, they aren't conceding that they think they're uh, very partisan gerrymanders, but they say whatever you think of the maps, there's nothing within the state's political history or its constitution, or the history of the precedents of the Supreme Court that would suggest that the courts can come in and do anything about it. There is no standard that could be put forward, a judicial standard, something judges could enforce and could tell the legislature, you've got to follow this or else you're breaking the rules. There's no standard of that sort that you can put forward that would eliminate what you see, what you justices and uh, Democratic challengers think is a problem. Once they said that, then the the Democratic justices leaped in and said, well, wait a minute, we can come up with a standard, or don't you think, as Justice Anita Earl said, I guess this was was another uh, surprising element to me, is that Justice Anita Earl specifically came out and endorsed the idea of making party affiliation a protected class in the same way that race is. Yeah, that was totally bizarre. And I would, I would also say pretty racist. I mean, because her 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 basic thought process was, okay, the, the I mean, and these are pretty much her words: blacks vote Democrat, so therefore we need to make sure that the Democrat Party is a protected entity. And what a racist statement to come out and say, well, if you're black, this is how you're going to vote. Yeah, and it it really gets outside of this notion that people are free to make their own choices about their political affiliations. And, you know, you could look just in our own state's political structure. The top-ranking Republican right now in state government is an African-American, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who's right. been very popular. Uh, yeah, you, that, I think you do. You are hitting on uh, an important point there. I think it's also something that Phil Strack, one of the lawyers working for the General Assembly, was quick to point out that, look, the, one of the reasons that race is a protected class is that race is something that's immutable. You can't change your race. And if there's intentional discrimination against your race, that, that is something that's clearly outside of the bounds. But when you're trying to protect 
a voter as being a Republican or as being a Democrat, that's a different ballgame because you're not protecting an individual right. Instead, you're creating this group right that Democrats as a group, or if it were on the other side, Republicans as a group, have some sort of right to some degree of political representation. And that's just not something our political system or our constitutional system has ever uh, contemplated. If that's true, then what happens when a new set of maps comes out and perhaps the Libertarian Party or unaffiliated voters decide, wait a minute, we're discriminated against. We should be protected in the same way Republicans and Democrats are. Where does that process end? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we used to have a party called the Whig Party. They're not around anymore. Who knows <laughs> if that was your precedent? Who knows what the scene will look like in 50 years? You know, I thought it was maybe maybe someone maybe someone who's a descendant of a Whig could sue it. There you go. Minute, you know, you're discriminating <laughs> against me and you have for decades and centuries. Well, I tell you what, that as bizarre as some of the arguments were today, I don't think that would be surprising to some some observers. The attorney that represented the North Carolina League of Conservation Voters basically said, look, if these maps stand, then that means that, and I'm, put, I'm paraphrasing here, but that means that Republicans are guaranteed to control politics in the state of North Carolina from here to whenever. And I thought Paul Newby, he didn't miss a beat. He immediately said, well, wait a minute. Uh, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, wait a minute, when the Republicans won the legislature, they did that with maps that were drawn by Democrats. That's exactly right. Uh, He was referring to the fact that in 2008, using maps that had been drawn earlier in the decade, mainly by Democrats, there was, when the the 2002 map or 2003 map was done, a 60-60 split in the House, but Democrats basically ran the show in that partnership. So it was maps mainly drawn by Democrats. And Democrats won the control of the General Assembly for basically the rest of the decade, even when, going back to some of the plaintiffs' arguments in this case, Republicans won the larger percentage of the statewide vote. Democrats won control of the General Assembly. But then after, in 2008, winning substantial majorities in the General Assembly, by the time the uh, 2010 election came around, under the exact same maps, the results basically flipped, and large majorities for the Democrats that they had won in 2008 became large majorities for the Republicans, and on the Senate side, a supermajority. Right. And Paul Libby said, how can you explain that? These maps were gerrymandered in favor of the Democrats, and Republicans ended up winning, which kind of undercuts this whole argument exactly. that any map mm-hmm. can entrench a particular party forever despite the results. And another thing that, that, that Justice, Chief Justice Newby pointed out that I think was very important is that all of this is predicated on the fact that there is some sort of a notion of proportional representation. Now, the lawyers on the other side are very quick to say we are not asking for proportional representation. The reason they say that is previous court rulings have said we don't have proportional representation. If you ask for that directly – courts would shoot you down. So everything else that has ever been developed to try to get rid of this partisan gerrymandering from a legal standpoint has always tried to get around proportional representation while still asking for that. Because if this is going to be called extreme partisan gerrymandering, 
It has to be extreme compared to something else. And the something else is the hard thing to come up with because the something else has got to be something, according to the plaintiff's argument, that would be close to proportional representation. If you're not willing to admit what your baseline is, then there's no way to call anything else that strays from that baseline extreme. Well, it's interesting because Paul Newby asked one of the lawyers for the plaintiffs to give a definition of proportional representation, and he refused to do it. I mm-hmm. mean, he just, well, right, I really yeah. don't know. I can't say. And it was pretty yeah, obvious he, he didn't want times. to give an answer. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he has two or three times, and, and it was because of that point, because another point that, that Chief Justice Sumi made that was very important, and he did this more than one time, he said, look, if, if we're going to accept your argument, that these maps are so partisan that they're unconstitutional, we're going to have to come up with some sort of standard that we can give to the General Assembly and say, look, your maps are unconstitutional under the state constitution. Here's why, and here's what you need to do to make the maps constitutional. If they can't do that, then it's not really something that a judge or a justice should contemplate. In fact, as has been referenced in the written record here, and it was alluded to as well in the oral arguments, that's exactly what the U.S. Supreme Court did in 2019 when it washed its hands of partisan gerrymandering cases. The majority on the U.S. Supreme Court said, look, this is a political question. There is nothing that you can come up with that's a manageable judicial standard that will separate what's permissible from what's impermissible. And if you can't have a judicial standard, then judges should be involved. Otherwise, they're just going to be legislating from the bench. We're talking to Mitch Kokai. He's the senior political analyst for the John Locke Foundation. We're talking about the oral arguments that took place concerning the congressional and district maps in the state of North Carolina. Mitch, uh, Benny Hardy's with us. He's got a question for you. Hey, Mitch. It's, uh, you just kind of hit on a point that I was I had it jotted down with, you know, it's not the judge's place to come up with a standard. It's the judge's place to judge and not legislate. And and I thought today, you know, a couple of surprises I had. I, I too, was surprised that uh, Justice Newby, you know, right out of the gate um, was as engaged as he was. But And I know I'm biased, but it seemed to me Justice Newby was trying to uh, direct the dialogue and conversation on the Constitution and and, right. and what it was that, hey, what we can discuss here. And I don't I don't see that the other side, other than, um, you know, just really showing their extreme partisan colors. I mean, er- everyone knows Anita Earls. I mean, her, she's got a lifetime of being an activist and a lobbyist, really, for for her party and uh, positions and her, her constituents' positions uh, that she's worked for. I don't think they made an argument at all other than that they appeared that the judges were – I mean, to me, I, I listened to it, didn't watch it, listened to it because I was working. If I didn't know the voices of these people, and I know, I've listened to these people before, I would have thought that Anita Earls was, art, was, was, was a representative and attorney for the plaintiff. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I really yeah. would yeah. have. Yeah, and in fact, uh, part of that is probably because she has been a <laughs> yeah. representing the plaintiffs of similar cases That's in the past true. she came out of the Supreme Court. But you're right that a lot of this is is a, a little surprising to folks who haven't paid a whole lot of attention to it, that the justices seem to be much more involved in the idea of making policy 
than in settling a legal dispute. For folks who haven't followed this very closely, it's important to know that the argument here is that the North Carolina state constitution, because of some of its basic principles, outlaws partisan gerrymandering. Well, you you could search in vain in the text of the Constitution (laughs) for anything that spells that out. What they're saying is something like the clause that says we will have free elections thus implies that you can't have partisan gerrymandering. And you really have to make a huge leap from a clause that says we will have free elections to saying that you can't use partisanship in gerrymandering. But some of the Democratic justices seem to think that that's true. We heard Justice Michael Morgan say, hey, you know, the the trial court said that this partisan gerrymandering is bad and it's going to expose us to ridicule. Uh, Doesn't that mean that we should be able to use this free elections clause to do away with it? And the argument on the other side has been, well, no, the Constitution doesn't say that. What the Constitution does say is that the General Assembly draws the maps. And here are a few objective criteria that they have to follow. And beyond that, it doesn't say anything else. Now, the federal courts have said you can't use racial gerrymandering, so you can't uh, go out of your way in an impermissible way to limit the votes of African-Americans or other protected classes of minority groups in other states. Sometimes it's Latinos because they have such a a large uh, effect on their voting process. But there is nothing that says you can't use partisanship. And in fact, previous court rulings, including North Carolina rulings, have said it is permissible to use partisan consideration. So the, the, the real problem here for those who want to strike these maps down is, okay, how do you tell the General Assembly that what they did is wrong because it's too partisan when nothing within the Constitution or previous court precedent says that using partisanship is wrong? Yeah, and, and to, to that point, something I thought uh, Justice Newby hit very clearly today, and I was disappointed the other justices did not um, counter-argue this or even engage in this conversation. He made a comment. He says, you know, the North Carolina Constitution speaks to free elections, but it not, does not speak to fair elections. And, you know, to me, that brings up a point, well, okay, well, well, if it doesn't speak to it, who determines fair? It sounds like the Democrats want to say it's only fair if we get to pick it. But I thought on that point, I thought that would be an opportunity for, you know, uh, Justice Earls or, or Morgan or Irvin, either one, to argue the point of the Constitution, the text of the Constitution, not, but they went right back to arguing the plaintiff's case. And I, I just thought it was sad for for the rule of law and the Constitution and for people that are elected that you hope are advocates for the law, not advocates for a plaintiff. We're talking about liberals here, though. Since when do they—I mean, that's all they do is read into the Constitution what they want to read into it. And I just just thought it really—that was a pretty telling point to me today. Yeah, it would be rare for them to kind of talk over each other during oral arguments. They'll probably do that in their opinions. They'll say— well, the majority decides this, but here's where they're wrong, or the the, uh, the dissenters say this, but here's where they're wrong. So they'll, they'll do a lot of that when they get onto the written page. But uh, I think another thing that was very telling here was near the end, you probably also uh, flagged this mentally, if not in your notes, is that Phil Strack, one of the uh, lawyers arguing for the legislative defendants, 
said some of the damage has already been done. Yes. But the Supreme yeah. Court already leaping in and deciding to take this case. There are a lot of people who are just looking at this court saying, oh, we got a 4-3 Democratic majority. It's going to be a Democratic ruling. It's all going to be partisan. And I don't think that the Supreme Court did anything today that would dissuade people from thinking that. I mean, that, that has been not just in this case, but in some other cases as well. You see uh, you get a ruling in a trial court and then whoever is on the side of the, the, the Democrats, if this is a political debate, they want to leapfrog over the Court of Appeals and get to the state Supreme Court because the Court of Appeals has 10 Republicans and five Democrats. And so they'd rather just say, oh, all right, well, we might not win there. Let's go straight to the Supreme Court. And I think if this ruling comes out as a 4-3 Democrat versus Republican ruling, that almost any other case that's political between now and the next election, you're going to see plaintiffs who are aligned with the Democratic Party or their ideological allies are going to try to run as fast as they can to the Supreme Court to get a ruling before voters make a change in 2022, if they do make a change. Did, did you see anything from any of the four Democrat just, uh, justices that would give you just a, a, even a slight thought that perhaps they would rule in favor of the maps? The, the only one who, to me, seems persuadable one way or the other would perhaps be Justice Irvin, mm-hmm. partly because of his questions. Because, you know, he seemed to be more probing with his questions than trying to uh, try to lay out a a political case, as as Justice Earls did, and to some extent, Justice Morgan. Uh, Justice Hudson, her old Robin Hudson, her only question was, hey, what does it matter how far away from from uh, ideal this is if it's not reflecting the will of the people? So she seemed to buy into that argument made very early on that the. that the, uh, that the plaintiffs made, that if if the results don't reflect the will of the people, and by that they seem to mean what the voters are saying in statewide elections in other races, which is not the same as legislative or congressional races. You know, seem to buy into that. Mob rule. While, while, while <laughs> yeah, Justice yeah. Irvin... Go ahead, go ahead, more asking, uh, ...asking about some specific legal issues that he was trying to get his head around. So... If, if he's not completely convinced by the plaintiffs, maybe he goes along with the Republicans. Also, remember, he's the only one running for re-election this year. And if it looks like something that's going to be uh, mm. uh, a way to kill his campaign Good point. To, to vote against these maps, uh, that might be a consideration, too. Although, to his credit, I would say that I think uh, from in, in most cases— he has seemed to be a, a, a guy who follows his judicial philosophy and doesn't just uh, lick the finger and stick it up in the air to see which way the wind's blowing. Uh, lastly, and you know, our, our hunch is, and I'm sure your hunch is, that it's that the the four Democrats are going to overrule the three Republicans. I hope I'm wrong on that. And as I said yesterday, that would be a huge um, check mark on the character of that one Democrat that might come over and uh, vote with the Republicans. But uh, let's assume that the Democrats come in and say these maps are illegal. Um, What would you expect? Would you expect them to give it back to the uh, General Assembly to redraw the maps? Would you expect the General Assembly to try to appeal this to a federal court? Well, I don't know that there's going to be a great opportunity for appeal to a federal court unless it has something to do with the congressional map. I think that 
The legislative maps are, are going to be decided at the state level. The congressional map, maybe it could go to Congress, depending on what the Supreme Court rules. But uh, state law says the Supreme Court has to give the General Assembly two weeks to come up with a plan, at least two weeks to come up with a right. plan to cure the defects. Now, if you've been following this very closely, there was a friend of the court brief filed by Governor Roy Cooper and Attorney General Josh Stein yes. that dealt with this exact point. Yeah, we, we read your piece they, on that on the show yesterday, oh, okay. Mitch. Yeah, yeah. Well, good, yeah. So, so basically they said, you know, this idea that you have to get the General Assembly two weeks, it's really only a request. And so they're kind of treating this, this piece of state law as if it's not something that, that you really have to follow. Right. So if the, if the Supreme Court wants to, it could perhaps just say, well, General Assembly, you don't have time to do it. We're going to bring in a special master. We're going to draw the maps ourselves, and we're going to, we're going to put those maps in place. And unfortunately, unless the federal court steps in, and I'm not sure it would do it for anything other than the congressional elections, our Supreme Court is our highest court, and there's not much anyone could do about it. So, Except uh, we'll vote for a new justice, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and you'll have a chance this fall. There are yep. two Supreme Court seats up for grabs, and both of them are held now by Democrats. So there would be a chance to for voters, if they wanted to, to flip from 4-3 Democratic majority to as much as 5-2 Republican majority. Mitch Kokai, thank you, sir. Do appreciate your insights. Uh, let's do it again. Sounds great. Thank All you. right. Mitch Kokai calling in from Raleigh. He is the political analyst for the John Locke Foundation. More news and views right after this. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. News and views for a Wednesday. Happy Groundhog Day. Phil saw a shadow. So according to uh, Phil, we've got six more weeks of winter. Weather forecast for tonight, uh, mostly cloudy, low around 45. Tomorrow, partly sunny, a high near 71. Go outside and get it done tomorrow because tomorrow night rain comes in. Chance of rain on Friday as well. High on Friday. It's going to be warm, high near 70, but chance of rain 80%. And looking ahead to this weekend, are they talking about more snow on Sunday? Hey, man, it's a Saturday and Sunday. We, we, get, <laughs> we get snow in eastern North Carolina on Sunday. I, know, I mean, you know, the, the weather forecast seems to change almost by the hour. But uh, last I saw, I thought one to three inches of snow on Sunday. Mm. Wow. Anyway. Well. You know, we we have a lot of interesting conversations during the break, and um, you brought up a great point that what the Supreme Court is doing is going to – and l listen, I, I'm sorry. Uh, call me a cynic. I'm a cynic. I, I fully expect that the Dems will come back and say, no, nope, it doesn't pass muster. We're, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be, you can cook the crow and I'll eat it right here on the air if I'm wrong. But uh, my hunch is they're going to say, we're not going to approve the maps. We've got, now they might send it back to the General Assembly to give them two weeks to redo the maps. I'm not sure about that one, but I'm, I'm quite confident that they're not going to allow the maps to stand as they are. And your point was when entities like our North Carolina Supreme Court do these kind of things, they're basically teaching the public to not trust them anymore. Mm -hmm. to, to, the, the public is looking at that and rolling their eyes and say, you've got to be kidding me. Now, an informed public will do that. Now, I, I realize a, a biased 
public that really has not been following this closely. Oh, well, I guess that's a good thing to do. I don't know. But, and it applies across the board to liberalism. I mean, I made the point, yeah, you can apply that to Anthony Fauci. <laughs> People don't trust medicine anymore right now. I mean, if you go out and ask, I mean, there's, we've covered surveys on this where people used now they still trust their local doctor but as far as the CDC and those kind of organizations the uh, uh, NIH there's that very is little the trust big red flag. there's very little trust in in Anthony and for that matter very little trust in liberals in general i mean people that really want fairness now I mean, there's a lot of people out there that want a biased they they want their way because they think they're going to get a free lunch out of it but people that really are, are looking at, okay, what is fair, what is equitable, and, and what is the law? What is the Constitution? And again, you brought up the North Carolina Constitution. We were talking to Mitch Kokai. The problem is, you know, they're reading in to the um, free election clause of the Constitution, and they're saying, well, we've got this, quote, free election clause, which means we're going to have free and open elections, but it has nothing to do with how the maps are drawn. And they're, they're taking that one little phrase and trying to build their whole, and I, you watch when they come up and strike these maps down, it will be because of that one phrase, the free election clause, this goes against the free election clause. You know, it sends a bad message to me. Um, and, and I don't know whose decision it was, you know, that it goes straight to the, um, Supreme Court. I actually think it was the Court of Appeals deciding not to hear it and let it go to the Supreme Court. No, if, I think it was the Supreme Court that grabbed it. Um, well, I've, I've got some text chains here that that get, makes me lead to think that's that's what happened. But but anyway, um, and, and it may, either may, way, may, it was it, improper for it, that to happen. Either, either way, I think it's improper. Even if the Supreme Court, maybe even the Supreme Court, if it wasn't their decision, they should say, "Hey, look, we've got a legal process." And you got to trust the process because to me that puts doubts in the minds of the voters of the electorate that okay we're we already admitting that the court of appeals cannot be objective because the, the Republicans outnumber the Democrats. Well, <laughs> to, I mean, what what does that tell to the citizens about our legal system? And I, I just think it's the same argument, you know, Justice Anita Earls and uh, Justice Irwin and um, was it. Uh, had challenges uh burger had challenges about right, whether right, they right. they could have a uh, be independent and, and not and be free of conflict of interest to hear this case well you know they made comments basically said you know hey almost kind of offended that you don't think it's my decision to make i can make that decision well, what is the difference what what is the difference do you not think the court of appeals can make that decision and be, be free and independent. So. Because they've got a huge majority of Republicans. I mean, the, 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 the Court of Appeals, this is it something like 8 to 2 or something, Republican majority? Uh, it's, more, it's, it's bigger than that. It's, I, I think it's eight bigger. To, it's like maybe 14 to 4 or something. It's, it's, a, bigger, it's, it's, it's a, a huge majority yeah. of Republicans on there. But, you know, I, I can understand people looking at me, in, in my opinion, on this and say, hey, hey you know, you, you're partisan and all that kind of stuff. And, and you, you well, gotta, we are. That's why I call you, it news and views. <laughs> but I, I don't think how an independent person today could listen to Judge Earls, Anita Earls, at least 
I mean, I know she's not independence. In fact, there ain't no, there's no doubt in my mind. But she could at least give the appearance. She sounded like she was arguing that she was arguing well, she before was. the Supreme Court. She was. She was the and, one that was given two hundred and fifty thousand dollars by the by the people that want to have the maps overturned. Of course, she was. There's no doubt about that. And Follow I, the money trail. And I know we listen to this stuff more more than, well, a lot more than the average person. We we get excited about boring things that's just what we are <laughs> but uh I, I just don't know how a person just cannot look at this today and say you know the legal system has failed north carolina today yep. Yep. I, I really I, I really think so it's it's really sad day we got to take another break uh we went long with mitch that was a good interview though but when we get back stay with us because i've got a piece of audio from josh holly the uh senator from missouri and uh, boy he put it to the uh Senate committee that's uh, it's a closed hearing on the Afghan withdrawal and I also had some comments about the idea of us going into the Ukraine uh, he, he uh, blistered Joe we'll have that when we get back Brandon's heroics. This, uh, Brandon, she, what does he play? Well, Mr. President, they're not, um... Folks, let's hear it for Brandon. What a job he's doing. Let's go, Brandon. Now back to news and let's news go, on 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. The Fayetteville Observer's reporting today about 2004 Bragg troops will be deployed to Europe as tensions rise with Russia over Ukraine. Uh, fear not, though. You have nothing to worry about. Joe Biden has been very clear that the U.S. will respond to the growing threat, but... Uh, we'll just be there helping other nations protect oh, right. Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Um, three thousand you know, troops, right? Two, well, two thousand from Fort Bragg. Yeah, um, they, that's right. They've yeah. repositioned a thousand, I think, from yeah. um, Poland. And, and, and the question is, and we've asked this to others: um, Is this a vital national interest? And uh, I think the answer is no. I, I mean, I, I feel for these people, but. My gosh, if we go and get involved in every skirmish around the world, uh, this, is, this is why we're so upside down. And, uh, you know, inflation is going to hit the fan big time. Well, the problem, the problem is when you don't take strong diplomatic positions early on, when you when – you, uh, Then you play catch-up. And, and also, you know – you. you I mean, the fact of the matter is, uh, I mean, you want some foreign countries to think you're a little bit crazy. You know, people thought that about Donald Trump. People thought and that it, about Don, it, uh, Ronald and Reagan. Was, and it was great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people thought that about Ronald Reagan. Gaddafi never messed with Reagan after he put that missile up his butt. But, I mean, <laughs> there's absolutely no way people can't objectively look at Joe Biden. And if you were a foreign foreign leader saying that guy doesn't have it. So whatever we're whatever we want to get away with, we better get away with it while he's in office. Push ups you want to do here. Yeah, thank the, you, Joe. The and but you know, and again, when Reagan he didn't go to war with Gaddafi. They mm-hmm. just sent a missile through the palace. <laughs> knocked off a couple of his uh you know, 
whatevers and uh, scared the crap out of Gaddafi, and he never never got out of line again with the United States. Thomas Jefferson summed up the non-interventionist foreign policy position perfectly in his 1801 inaugural address, quote, peace, commerce, and honest friendship with all nations, entangling alliances with none. Pretty much says it like and it a is. hellacious nuclear arsenal yeah there you go yeah uh, <laughs> but, you know but you know just, just ha, have a big stick this whole ukraine thing uh, it makes me think back you can excuse me ukraine russia but it just makes me think back to the 2012 election when that smug president obama made the comment when when mitt romney was yeah. asked about the you know the biggest national threat to the united cold. states and he said russia and he made that smart-ass comment, excuse my French, that, you know, the 1980s calling and they want your, our, their foreign, foreign policy, policy back. back. Yeah. And, and I do that? <laughs> yeah, he did, Obama. But, it, but now, and anybody with a reasonable person knew that, um, knew, knew this was coming. But and, you're right. It was a smart-aleck comment that uh, he was so... And of course, Candy Crowley. Oh yeah. Oh, laughed it off. Oh yeah. I mean, they're, they're not serious journalists. I mean, yeah. just and and now <laughs> and now these same people that are toting the water for the Democrat Party. Oh oh yeah. Russia Russia's a threat. Russia yeah. Russia Russia yeah. Russia. It, it just amazes me how stupid these people can be. Earlier today, Josh Hawley was coming out of a closed door Senate hearing on the Biden administration's deadly Afghanistan withdrawal. And he basically called it a joke. Here's Josh Hawley from earlier today. Well, I mean, the first thing is, is that we, as ever with this administration, we learn more from reading leaks in the press than we ever do from listening to these guys. And by the way, the fact that this hearing is happening behind closed doors is absolutely outrageous. It is a total travesty, and it's for one reason only. They do not want to have any accountability. They do not want to answer questions in public. Do you know General Milley and company still have not responded to my questions for the record following our last hearing in September? In September, they still have not replied. Why? Because those answers might become public. They don't want to answer any questions in public. This is a joke. This is not oversight. It is a joke. And now as this administration blunders into war with Ukraine, guess what they're going to do tomorrow? Brief us on Ukraine. How? Behind closed doors. Because they don't want you asking any questions. They don't want the American people seeing their answers. They don't want to be accountable for anything. This is the most disastrous administration for American foreign policy since the Vietnam War. And it only gets worse. So let me just reiterate. This is a joke. What's happening today is a clown show. It is meant to be a clown show, and it is an absolute travesty. I hope you all are livid. I'm livid. You should be livid, because this is an attempt to shut you out and to shut out the American people so nobody gets any answers. What questions were you asked today? Well, number one, why have not the people who are appearing today resigned? Not a one of them has resigned. Why not? Number two, why the day before Kabul fell, the day before Kabul fell, was the State Department and the Defense Department only just then starting to plan for the evacuation of civilians? I mean, really, how incompetent can you possibly be? Did the State Department and the Defense Department actually coordinate on the evacuation of civilians? The Defense Department claims they told State to do the civilian evacuation earlier. That's what General Milley testified to and General Austin back in September. Is that true? I'd like to know. I'm going to ask Secretary Blinken. So we'll see if we get any answers. My prediction is we'll get no answers. It'll be all kinds of prevarications and evasions, and it'll all be behind closed doors, which is why this is a joke. Bad idea. It's a mistake. It's a mistake to send more American troops 
to Europe at this time. But listen, I mean, it's just another foreign policy crisis that this administration's blundered into, and I'm sure it will not be the last. And the question is, is this a wag the dog situation? Yeah, I thought about that today. Yeah. yeah. How incompetent can you possibly be? You're looking at it. I mean, this is <laughs> this is the low water mark for incompetence or high water mark, however you want to look at it. I mean, this is it's unbelievable. And I think I think that is a legitimate question with knowing that the Democrats are going to get slaughtered in the upcoming election. These people have no scruples. They would absolutely do a wag the dog situation to to try and salvage something out of the midterm elections. Nice little diversion. Yep. What's Uh, really going on? One last break. We'll be right back. With this executive order, we we hereby bring you the news you need. 24-7. We don't need a slew of executive orders to keep our commitment to you. The news and the breaking news as it happens. They know how to sniff out the big news. <laughs> I made a sniffing joke. Eastern Carolina's source for news is... Getting all the facts. On Talk 96.3 and 103.7. It spells out... News and views. Washington Free Beacons reporting that while Russian forces are poised to invade Ukraine... Unfortunately, Western Military Alliance has no real meaningful plans to respond to Russians' unprovoked aggression. But they've gone to great lengths to ensure that their symbolic expressions of outrage will be as gender-inclusive as possible. They put out a manual. Part of the manual says, together let's take the extra step to forge communication in which all feel included. Let's create language that reflects our way of looking at the world today and that helps shape the world for tomorrow. The manual goes on to say, when writing about or referring to transgender persons, make sure to use the appropriate title and pronouns for that person's gender identity. We're going to go over there and try to save the lives of uh, Ukrainians. (laughs) And what are they worried about? They're worried about making sure we're gender included and no transgenders get offended. You know, I'm sure the Russians read publications, and when they come across this, Weak. Weak. They, oh, they'll be laughing their fannies off. They see a sign of weakness. Oh, my gosh. And and they're jumping on it. Say what you like, but they see the weakness and they're jumping on it. I will break you. 5618255. Nathan, real quick, we only got about 30 seconds. How are you, sir? All right. How about you? Doing great. What's on your mind? How about old Big Lip uh, Maxine Waters? Uh, what's the update on that today? Uh, I'm not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole. We got to run. Uh, <laughs> We'll do it again tomorrow at 5 o'clock and uh, play a little political trivia. See you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.